Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is typically where we play the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Bergerman. And I'm Will Bergerman. And it's typical because that's exactly what we're doing today. <laughs> um, this is going to be a really fun episode. For years on the show, we've done original showcase episodes where we spotlight, you know, music that we've each written, uh, usually recently. And, or... and dude, it's been ages since we've done one of those. Yeah, yeah. And earlier this year, we did an episode about a soundtrack we had wrote a few years ago. It's kind of like a retrospective. This is an idea that I had, honestly, a few years ago. And I had always been meaning to do this as sort of like a birthday gift or like a surprise for Carl. I wanted to do an episode just on his music that he almost wasn't involved with so my idea would be that like oh we get marty in and the two of us just kind of play and talk about carl's music spoiler alert that's what's going to happen today (laughs) yeah exactly and the idea is to sort of talk about it as music just like we would in any other episode of the podcast and not Mm -hmm. feel necessarily like we're giving someone a compliment or not feel like we need to give context or everything. It'll be less awkward because I won't be there. <laughs> yeah, so we can just give our actual thoughts and actually dig into some of the music. You know, since we are brothers, there is something fun about this idea of two of us talking about the other person when they're not around. And since there's three of us, what's really fun is we're going to keep this going. Is We already have an idea for a future installment of a series or an album by Will that me and Marty will record, and then a Marty album that me and Will will record. So we'll just keep the the love going round and round and round. What I'm really excited about is I suspect that this will be more educational, more helpful and instructive to people from the standpoint of writing music themselves. Because I think a lot of times when we share our music, we're sort of talking about the inspiration behind it, the what we were thinking of, kind Mm -hmm. of what our motivations were. And and it's very cordial and we're sharing things and talking about our first reactions. But what I think will be fun is we're focusing on the music from all five volumes of Sonic-esque, which are these concept tribute albums that Carl has been making since, what was the first one, like 2010? 2011 2011. is when, actually what's funny is that year, that calendar year was when the first three came out. I think the first two came out like a month apart or something crazy Mm -hmm. like that, a month or two apart. And then the third one came out like seven or eight months after that. And then it was a number of years before the fourth and then just a couple years ago was uh, Flashfield. So what's interesting is Sonic-esque actually predates our podcast. By about a year, yeah. I feel like Sonic-esque as a project, as a concept, is almost the original Marcato Brothers project. Yeah, I think so. And, And one of the reasons why that is, is both you and Marty were incredibly supportive and excited about me doing it. I remember when I got the first plugin, which back when I was doing it at the beginning was VOPM. Marty, I think, was the first person to get it and kind of helped me figure it out. And when I started, I think I made one track as kind of a proof of concept. And he was just like, yeah, you just keep going, keep going, and was really supportive and excited. And so were you. You were very young, but you were very excited too. And, and I think showing these tunes to you guys 
in some ways was maybe the primary reason I was making it at the beginning. And then the fact that other people on YouTube and the internet could listen to it as well was exciting. But yeah. I don't know about you, Carl, but I find it way more investing and exciting and emotional to write for individual people in mind. Because I think Mm -hmm. you can be specific with your choices. Oh, totally. What's kind of fun is I still do that all the time. Like a lot of the times I'm working on a project or an album, there's like a few people in mind that I'm like, oh, I am excited for this person to hear it. And what's cool about that is that doesn't mean that other people aren't going to enjoy it. You know, it's not like those people that I'm referring to have really strange tastes and only they would like it. When I think of this series, there's a lot of nostalgia and a lot of love that comes to mind. It is crazy that this is about a year before the Mercado Bros when it comes to Volume 1. What's been interesting is I, when I made Volume 1, I was partially really trying to capture the spirit of Sonic that I loved and, and to be at times specific about how I was doing that musically. But at the end of the day, to be honest, I think there was at least half the tracks, even on that first volume. Now I was just having fun making music, making music that I wanted to make and wasn't necessarily super precious about everything needs to capture a specific technique in the Sonic series. And, and as time went on, that became more and more the case where I was just making music that I, that I enjoyed. And so some of the tracks in the series uh, might not you know, be incredibly sonic-y to, to a specific listener. But right. I hope they're just fun fun tunes. Yeah, I mean, I think the elephant in the room with all of this music is the utilization of the Genesis FM chip, which started with using, you know, the VOPM VST to recreate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but another unique thing about Sonic-esque as a series of albums, as opposed to just Carl Brueggemann making music in the style of Sonic the Hedgehog is that it was also around the time when you had very recently gotten your Yamaha Mo 8 keyboard and mm-hmm. it was a, a it's still I think a really great performance keyboard with all kinds of great mm-hmm. synths and sounds and functionality and you and one of the things that I know for sure I'm going to be talking about with Marty is uh, a band that you wrote a lot of songs for and played lead keys in in college was called Apartment 4. And that MO8 mm-hmm. was kind of really the lead instrument. I mean, that was like the feature of the, the sound of that band. And so by the time you had started yeah. making... Um, Sonic-esque, you were very familiar with that keyboard, the sounds it could make, and you had sort of, I I think you had developed your own voice as far as how you use electronic sounds, how you use synths in your own compositions. And I think my favorite thing about the early Sonic-esque albums is the way that you integrate those MO8 sounds with the Genesis hardware. One quick fun fact for anyone that might be interested in this is there's actually two pieces of music. There's more, really. I think there's three. 
were originally Apartment 4 songs, instrumental Apartment 4 songs that we played, you know, at different bars, performed at least four or five times, uh, that I basically turned into a Sonic-esque tune. Windy Wetlands, like the, the basic groove of that was kind of a groove that we did in that band. Uh, Sunset Garden, the groove of that, not the melody, but the groove of that, and especially the breakdown section when it goes to halftime, we did that in Apartment 4 in kind of a different context, and then Machine Meltdown in the, in Volume 3. Well, and that was almost the other way around, I remember. I think where so, you had, yeah. you had released that one as a Sonic-esque track, and then mm-hmm. almost... Did, so it, it, went, it went both ways, but I think what that really illustrates is how central all the music that you were writing for these Sonic projects was to your... That was like your main compositional output at this time I would say and kind of like you've always been someone that gets into phases or or really invest yourselves in in projects and so at different points in your life you've played in different bands and there's been crossover there but it seems like creatively there'll be periods of time where a lot of your writing is going into one of these projects or the other and what was sort of interesting is in college you were doing a lot of things but it really seemed like as far as songwriting as far as like composing a, a big thrust of your output was the apartment four stuff and then mm-hmm. you know sonic s was sort of like just after you graduated and it seemed like a lot of that energy for writing transferred into this i think so yeah and then it's not surprising that you know in about a year from that we started the podcast because we were <laughs> so excited about video game music so excited about the idea of being creative and eventually creating content together about video game music, our own music. And so it's cool kind of to go back to that. I will just say that out of the volumes that I've released, for me personally, I think my favorites are probably Tide, Volume 4, and Flashfield. That's kind of that cliche that artists have where their most recent works are usually their favorites. I think in some ways, um, working with the FM sound chip and composing tunes for that sound chip I think I got better as I went along. Uh, there's aspects of the first volume that it's hard for me to revisit in some ways. That being said, it'll be very interesting to hear your guys' opinions on, on all the volumes since you know you didn't have that perspective. what'll be fun about this episode is you know carl has had input in this playlist he's given me a list of tracks that he wanted us to include but the final configuration he doesn't even know what we're going to play he is not going to have any idea what we're going to talk about. i have no idea what to expect i'm excited for the episode (laughs) as a listener yeah hopefully marty and i aren't just like you know this isn't as good as i remember (laughs) this doesn't hold up The last thing I just want to say very quickly um, before you guys get into some music is I had so much fun making all of these volumes. I have so many good memories of writing this music, working on this music, sharing it uh, first with Will and Marty and then with, uh, you know, the rest of the world. It's some of my favorite music I've ever um, created. And so I hope that. Okay, man, I think it's time for you to get out of here. (laughs) Leave the room, plug your ears, don't turn back. All right, see ya. We'll we'll come and get you when it's time to return. 
Okay, I think he's gone. Marty, I think it's safe to come in now. Okay, yeah, I just, I didn't want him to catch on that I was, you know, waiting out there as quietly as I could. Yeah. (laughs) Quiet as a church mouse, quieter even. (laughs) Well, thank you for doing this, man. I'm excited to get an opportunity to not just talk about Carl when he isn't here, but specifically to give his music and this music of these now five volumes of Sonic-esque the same kind of musical treatment that we give to all of our favorite music on this show. And I think it's safe to say that this project, this venture that Carl started back in 2011, has been really personally important to each of us, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm just so excited to be here. Are are you kidding? To talk about Sonic-esque... It really is kind of the ground zero for really how this kind of expanding, difficult to define Marcado Brothers entity began. For me, it really opened my eyes to something that I had never really considered before, which was the idea that you could create your own additional music in the universe or in the milieu of composers and series and projects that that you really love and yeah i mean i know i think for both of us this is like a hugely inspirational project and also i think we're just really nostalgic for that era where carl was just completely on fire yeah you mentioned five albums it's kind of hard to fathom but you were just pointing out to me the other day that like the first three came out in like such close succession i mean this guy was unstoppable yeah, they all came out the same year. I think that's unique in an artist's life when they have that sort of fruitful, prolific period that there's just like a burst of all this energy and ideas. Uh, and that's why I really want to start chronologically with this. So the first track that we're going to listen to today, it comes from Sonic-esque Volume 1, and this is Sapphire Falls. Let's take a listen. Listening to Sapphire Falls from Sonic Esque Volume 1. All the music today, again composed by our brother Carl Brueggemann. 
This one holds a special place, I think, in our heart because this is one that we actually render time and time again in the Marcado live band. Yeah. What's fun about that, you know, is I I find this bass riff that Carl has here to be really catchy and sort of iconic. Yeah, 10 out of 10. At this point now, yeah, I'm used to hearing Marty play that on bass and one neat thing about the way that we perform it in the band is those sort of synth brass stabs. We use actual Genesis sounds, but as Carl was sort of mentioning earlier, in the first volume of Sonic-esque, he was a lot less sacrosanct about whatever the rules are as far as using Genesis instruments. And one of the reasons why I wanted to start with this track is, to me, a piece of music like this celebrates Sonic and particularly the music of Masato Nakamura not in terms of instrumentation necessarily. I mean, we have that iconic drum and bass sound from those sonic samples, but really it's it's the nature of the composition itself. The simplicity of the melody, the grooves, the sort of devious but cool, swanky 90s nature of the composition that is, I, is one of the things that I think really inspired me about Sonic-esque was it wasn't just a gimmick about using Sega Genesis sounds. It was really like you could tell it was it was such a heartfelt love letter to the composition of these fantastic Sega composers. Oh, totally. No, I think you put your finger right on it. I mean, from what I remember, it was finding access to the that, like Sonic snare that I think really sparked Carl's imagination to kind of like get the project going that might be apocryphal but you're completely right it's really about nailing the musical attitude of sonic the hedgehog we've all talked about it a lot uh, at this point but i think in our family that really comes back to the first two games composed by uh, masato nakamura and i really think he too is uh really focused on attitude um we everyone seems to walk away from the character just thinking speed, speed, speed all day long. But another really crucial element of selling this character to the public was how cool he right. was. It was. This was like 90s cool attitude. And I actually think that that's kind of more what Masato Nakamura was really kind of honed, honed in on and just like nailed so beautifully. And then <laughs> all these years later... I mean, I just remember how exciting it was hearing Carl share some of these initial tracks. Now, my memory is all bleeding together. Do you, I feel like this is one of the first pieces I ever heard from the project. Could well, that be right? I, I think the first one that he worked on was the Magma Ruins, the one that's kind of like oh, Marble so Zone yeah. style. But then for a lot of it, I think he actually did go in... A relatively chronological order. I know that Crooked Caverns was another early one. Yeah, that's so good. But I, I think the reason why yeah, I wanted to start with Sapphire Falls to show an example of something, this isn't an homage to any one particular track. This isn't overly relying on the Genesis sounds. This is just an authentic Carl Brueggemann instrumental composition. And what what's so great about it is it has style, it has personality, it has attitude, it's cool. 
but it's so poppy and catchy and simple in the form and the structure of it. Every section just leads naturally into the next. There's a real economy of notes in the melody. And these are the kinds of things that I think a lot of gamers took for granted in the first few decades of video games as like a really popular mass medium. The idea that everything is basically like a pop song. And I mean, Masato Nakamura's right. credentials <laughs> as an actual pop artist are, were of course very well established by the time he was working on um, Sonic the Hedgehog. And so I think the spirit of that poppiness is something that I really admire. Let's move on to uh, another track from Sonic-esque Volume 1, and this is in a very different model. This is a piece of music that is based on and a reference point to one particular track in the series. We can talk about what that is after we listen. This is Shadow Cliff. Shadow Cliff from Sonic-esque Volume 1. A wonderful composition, so much personality. Yeah, just stellar. Dazzling arrangement and very much in the model of Mystic Cave Zone. And here we're getting, I think, some of the first flavors on our playlist today of just this KGB funky... Sorry, those are Carl's full... (laughs) initials yeah um, we use in the family quite freely and openly um but yeah just that kgb funky syncopated ingenious kind of locked in um like element in the piece and here it's like the bass line which is also doubled by some other synths and the kick pattern is like really tightly tied into it it's obviously this piece is an homage to mystic cave zone but it's really taking a lot of the features of that and and really pushing them into some exciting places like just especially again this detail of this underpinning funky bassline. what i love is the melody the kind of theremin like melody i think is like grabbing your attention right from the go and you're maybe not even conscious of just how groovy this kind of like mechanical dna of the pieces and it's so tight uh we also i also feel like this is true of the first piece just very crisp and i think carl's really highlighting just how crisp and tight some of this fm sega genesis music is something that has to be discussed in the context of carl as a composer is that he's a drummer and i think because he's a drummer he has a very intuitive sense of groove and rhythm but also because he's a drummer he has a great sense of how to create an interesting rhythmic machine across different elements and so in many ways when he's building an arrangement and we're going to hear this I think in particular tracks today that I think very much highlight what I'm saying where it's it isn't that there's one riff it isn't that there's like one catchy melodic 
like line and particularly you notice this in the introductions where it really is the interaction of all the elements the bass line right. it's like the these drums. interlocking gears and levers and right all and these stuff. different musical lines and i think that was something that really activated him about the music of sonic and the music of the 16-bit era and what makes it different from say like the nes but all these interactive parts, the transfer of energy, it's all very intuitive to Carl because he is a drummer. And one of I think it's maybe one of my favorite aspects of his music is how he can bring that stuff to light. Totally. I think the next track that we're going to play is also a great illustration of this concept. And also one of my favorites from Volume 1, because again, this isn't yeah. an homage to any one thing specific, and it just feels so pure and central to him. This is so nostalgic for you and I, I feel like. Yeah. Let's take a listen to Skyway Station. I mean, it's just perfect. It's just like every little element <laughs> yeah, is locked in together and it's independently catchy, but the energy pauses at the right moment when the other thing gets interesting. It's just so well balanced. Yeah, no, completely. God, that's so good. Oh, this is Skyway Station from uh, Sonic-esque by KGB. Oh, man. Yeah, put that on Put that on loop day today folks that's so god it's weird i could totally imagine this track done up and produced in like a beautiful kind of k-pop setting oh yeah for sure it'd be amazing and i think that's probably going to be true for a lot of songs today where i can just picture carl smiling behind the drum kit yeah <laughs> like playing this it's i would say as he progresses through this sonic-esque project in many ways you're almost getting more and more of his innate personality, especially I think when it comes to, you know, the drum and, and beat elements, but yeah, open on such a great riff that would honestly sustain you for a long time. And then when the melody comes in on top of that, it's just vocal and singing and beautiful. And you're, you've already been touching on this today, but I think this really just is almost kind of an expression of how the sonic music makes him feel and how playing those games made him feel as a kid. Yeah, that's what's also so beautiful about it, is this project is just so genuine and from the heart. I think that was one of the things that made it inspiring. It didn't feel like a side project. I mean, as someone who was like, you know, I've always loved Carl's music and I've always followed his projects. And particularly when I was a kid, you know, I really looked up to him as I really looked up to you, Marty. Um, so I think I have maybe a different 
perspective of the music at this time because I was very much like a fan of it as it was happening. And I think one of the things that was so cool about Sonic-esque is I just felt how much his heart was in it. I felt how central it was to his creative output at the time. And that this wasn't a side project, it wasn't a little experiment. Something like this that is like every bit as good as any song he was doing with any of the bands he was playing in. or It's like sure, the fact sure. that he would utilize this material, this kind of expression for this honestly kind of niche specific project but it's so catchy it's so universal it's so poppy and easy to enjoy but it, it has this level of emotion to it and the, the mixture of all these elements is something Carl I think especially at the time it was just so intuitive for him the way that he could blend all of his influences together it's distinct and it's there, there's no sort of self-consciousness about any of it. I think more than any artist I know, I feel like Carl was almost the most immediate at finding his own voice. I definitely agree with you. Even yeah. I can go back to songs he wrote in high school, and it's like, there he is. That's Carl. Like, I mean... It, I don't know. It's all the other skills around being able to record and produce and perform music. He's certainly right. grown and expanded. And like, there he is. It's Carl just in terms of style and personality, but also in terms of quality, you know, really right there from the drop. Oh man, <laughs> I'm having so much fun going, and I cannot wait to talk about this next piece. This is absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah, this is this is fantastic. Uh, definitely a standout from Volume One. Let's take a listen to File Select. <laughs> Listening to the file select from Sonic Esque Volume One. It's interesting because I think Carl was probably inspired by the file select, the very famous Calypso E file select from Sonic 3, but again, like some of the others we've heard today, this really is not a pastiche of one piece of music. It, what I always felt struck with about this is it almost feels like if Masato Nakamura had written a file select for a one Sonic of the first three. two Sonic games. Yeah, no, beautifully put. I think you and I strive to do this too when playing in the same kind of homage space. He's really taking reference from a specific piece of music, but then kind of throwing that sketch away and just building something out of his own heart, out of his own intuition. And 
honestly, this is just such a sweet spot for me because there's almost like a Kondo-esque, Nintendo-y, cute, appealing thing with all of this kind of funky Sega tightly interlocked (laughs) texture. It's just, yeah, I mean, this, this should be somebody's theme song. What was fun about today's episode and why I wanted to do it with Carl out of the room is... You know, he made so much of this music and the stuff that he's proudest of, the stuff that he would pick and choose to talk about isn't necessarily like I could almost guarantee that this would not be a track that Carl would pick for a playlist. Because, again, he's so intuitive that the things that come easy to him, I think sometimes in his own value system it's almost like he he sometimes forgets how special they are or maybe he never really well i think many of many of us do that i mean also you know even outside of the realm of creative works or projects it's you'll find all the time where it's something that you really love about a person not only might they take that for granted they might actually be self-conscious about those things and um i don't know that's why i think there's a real (laughs) <laughs> there's definite value and hopefully like a beauty too to being able to talk about this guy behind his back well yeah and i hope that you know if he does end up listening to this that i, I don't think he ever will <laughs> yeah i think it's, but the, it's some of the happening. specific pieces that we call out that if he's looking back at it and being kind of like oh really that one huh that it gives him a sense of like no this is enough you're enough like y- you don't need to do any more right. than what you've done on this file select and it's like completely appealing there's no this is not boring there's right. no this energy is, missing. so this is basically just like an intervention of of love yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i've said to him so many times how much i love the music of sonic-esque honestly the first three were, were just such a pure expression of that kind of joy and excitement that he had at that time in in his life it's is really something special i mean i think all of the albums are fantastic and as they go they get more accurate to the genesis sound but yeah i'm i'm really excited to move on to volume two this is really kind of like the hit single i guess if if there was such a thing for sonic-esque 2 let's take a listen to diamond dash too good diamond dash by carl brueggemann Uh, again just the the confidence in the arrangement the interaction of all the elements but the melodic restraint and simplicity i mean both almost every section of the melody really utilizes 
repetition in a really conscious way. Kind of like a lot of techno and electronic music, I think. Uh, that's what's cool about this is yeah, yeah. I, I know maybe his, his reference point as far as like the level he was imagining was probably something like Flying Battery Zone. But musically, it just right. has this confidence all his own. And, and it ends up having so much more sweetness and I would say even appeal than Flying Battery oh, Zone. Completely. I mean, I think that's a great track and obviously it's very classic 16-bit video game music but i don't know i'm just so taken with kind of the smiley carl energy of the piece and yeah like you said it's like we have all these repeating little nuggets but each of them is just like there's a hook there's yep. a hook you know 100 uh, that that economy of notes like you're saying so also the tempo is just so exciting and exhilarating i, I remember that that was a bit of a concerted effort i think in carl on, on the second volume to kind of show like oh yeah like we're also going to do the sonic hyperspeed you know crazy up-tempo stuff it has so much attitude it has so much personality so cool he's nailing the vibe of sonic but beyond that the composition is just so strong it's just every aspect of the arrangement locks in together it's catchy it's memorable and the simplicity of the melody i think makes it feel really strong i mean you can look at how like all these phrases are repeating exact but that's not like a limitation and that's not just kind of like some arbitrary thing that's what makes it memorable. I mean, repetition is so central to so many forms of music, and I think you're totally right, Marty. These specific hooky lines that he's composed, so much of like that indelible quality, the shape of it is memorable, the rhythms of it are memorable, the specific notes that he chooses are memorable. I'm really excited to move on to our next example because it's a completely different vibe, totally different tempo, but I think you could say some of the same concepts about this next piece of music as far as how the elements interact and the strength of the melody. This is Sunset Garden from Sonic-esque Volume 2. Let's take a listen. listening to Sunset Garden from Sonic-esque Volume 2. This is really one of my all-time favorites. It's just... It's beautiful and it's emotional. It's like the kind of melancholy and right, pathos right. in that final section is is palpable. It's just beautiful. And the, yeah, like that... Yeah, melancholy, feel-good funkiness is kind of like the bullseye of, of Carl music that I just adore so much. And it's just... it's really on display here you know preparing for this episode i was going back and listening to i mentioned this earlier but the band that carl played in in college apartment four was going back and listening to um a lot of the songs that he wrote and 
my god they're so good and it's interesting because you know i mean yeah. you're hearing jam this jam. this sense of production that is much less refined i'm sure carl would be kind of embarrassed by some of the sounds of how these songs are like rendered and you know he's just using a lot of like keyboard sounds but the composition the songwriter underneath is just world class and there's so much confidence and there's so much personality and it's so emotional and sincere and it's yeah he constantly hits this bullseye of it's catchy and appealing but like has genuine emotion to it it's like that's the kind of thing that yeah it's just worth a million bucks and he does he integrates all these things so intuitively that it's like when you're listening to sunset garden it's like Okay, this feels like Sonic, but I, I don't really know why. Right. He's done such a great job of like disguising the magic trick. The music just overwhelms you, and there's no sense of like, oh, he's doing this gimmick or he's taking this from that and this from that. It's just all fully integrated. Right, and I think it makes the listener feel like they're not in a class assignment. Um, they're meant to just like kick back and enjoy new Sonic music, and that's an absolute risk that you can run playing in the homage territory. For me, I, I really don't like the feeling of uh, so the composer is sitting next to you, like pointing, like, "Oh, did you hear that? Oh, yeah, did you know?" It's and this is this is just such pure enjoyment. Also, I feel like this track is just a great snapshot of kind of Carl as a producer. I was saying earlier how you know you can picture him behind the drum kit and kind of this this great live band going on. Um, here, I love yeah the drum part is yeah it's much more like a I don't know Timbaland or Pharrell or or something. It's like it's this very producer MPC ish kind of kind of thing, and yeah. it's just killing it. I'm excited for this next one because, you know, anybody who knows Carl knows how much he loves the music to Hydrocity or Hydro City Act 2 from Sonic 3. I'd really say the, the first, you know, four stage themes from that game are as brilliant as any game music, yeah. the the use of kind of theme and variations and in Angel Island and in Hydro City is really amazing. And that was something he specifically wanted to capture when he was making volume two. So he has a Hydropolis act one. I always call it Hydropolis, sort of a, but I know it's <laughs> Yeah, it has that sort of swanky jazz thing that that feels evocative. Like these these tracks are very much pastiche. It's it's to a specific piece of music in then Hydropolis Act 2 like its you know predecessor from Sonic 3 takes some of the material from the first stage adds new material brings it into a different genre what is so amazing about this track is that while it is you know acknowledging a specific piece of music such a particular musical reference point if you don't know anything about the original source material, you could really enjoy and engage this piece of music just as much. And there's a point in here where I hear Carl's own instincts, intuition, and genuine love for the music take right. over. And it's really inspiring where I it's like exactly he forgets the assignment and it just starts soaring. Yeah. Let's take a listen to Hydropolis Act 2.
gosh, folks. Yeah, sorry. We're just giving and giving and giving today. That was Hydropolis or Hydropolis, as many of us in the community uh, pronounce it. <laughs> Act two. I love how you teed that up, Will. And yeah, it's just a, <laughs> it's just euphoric when that happens. Also, uh, really just want to call out how successful all the mixing is on the Sonic-esque stuff. We should also say this is one of the kind of earliest projects where Carl was really finding this audience like well outside of his own kind of community and region. And honestly, I think for a lot of those folks, they would have believed that this was all made on like Genesis hardware or something like that. But uh, really, it's a lot of ingenious mixing in the DAW with uh, dropping samples in and a mix of kind of other synthesizers that are outside of the you know technically accurate FM stuff. But everything that we've been highlighting today is is really on display in this track, and it ultimately amounts in something transcendent. Well, the band Apartment 4 that Carl played in in college was this dancey 80s synth pop kind of band. They, they, their music actually spanned a variety of genres, but that dancey quality was really central to it. And they would play these like packed shows in the town that he went to school in. And they were really they were a popular group because they were so crowd pleasing and entertaining. So by the time Carl's here, he has this like lived real world experience of how to entertain an audience and how to get people on their feet dancing and that that quality and when he does that it's just euphoric and in something like this where it's like that kind of dancey chorus is intuitive to his musical language but he also knows like a great entertainer of like what will activate things in a listener and it's like the the mixture of those things is 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 super special i'm so glad you highlighted that because yeah it's almost like a a comedian that really they have to work their material out on the road in front of audiences it's it's a good as time as any to really encourage all artists all creative people out there to try to find ears try to find eyes for your art that instinct is just absolutely irreplaceable at a certain point you can almost know confidently in your bones it's like wow i can feel the phantom audience that will be like how they're going to move in this moment i can feel where they don't want me to go it's yeah it's just it's incredible Well, let's move on to Magnet Minds from Sonic S Volume 2. I feel like this is sort of a spiritual successor compositionally to Sunset Garden in that similar sort of mood and, and style, but another just fantastic groove with a phenomenal melody. Let's take a listen to Magnet Minds.
We're listening to Magnet Minds from Sonic Esque Volume 2, composed by Carl Brueggemann. Yeah, this has to go on the KGB Greatest Hits. I mean, does it ever? Again, all the elements we're talking about, this catchy groove. I, I have to call it that in the intro because it's not like there's one riff. It's, it isn't one element. It's right. the interaction of all these elements that creates this like cornucopia of sound. Including these beautiful dancing, chimey PSG kind of high frequency elements, which I think from this point on in Carl's like Sonic-esque project really take off. Right. And I, I think if you think of something like the opening of Angel Island Zone, yeah. I think the nature of that was something that he was really thinking of a lot about what was core to Sonic music. The idea that it is, it's a cornucopia of sound. It's all of these elements interacting and trading off. And it, it was another thing I noticed going back to listen to Apartment 4 songs where it's like he has such an instinct for transferring energy in moments where the vocal melody is ending there's always some sort of melodic keyboard riff that's taking things over and moving the energy from here to there and he's just yeah he's a great has the, that sort of showmanship and there's something kind of old school about that I imagine some of those musical instincts are very influenced by you Marty because I think you have a lot of those sort of sensibilities and what I think is cool about Carl as a writer a lot of the things that he's picked up from the bands he grew up listening the video game music the film music but also stuff from you and playing music with you He's the kind of musician who can integrate everything in a really intuitive way. You would never notice the seams and you might not even notice or know where the origins of these things are. And sometimes I wonder, I don't even know that Carl is conscious or aware of the origins of a lot of this stuff because he's just writing from his own voice. Like this is as sincere to his style as anything I could think of. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, so beautifully said. And, um, yeah, part of me almost wants to put out a warning. It's like, don't try this at home folks, or, or at least like really prepare yourself for what it's like to write at this level of interactivity. Uh, you just, how you describe it, I think was so perfect because it's like Carl's having his cake and eating it too. The dominant ideas are handing off and never running on top of each other. And so that energy is passing around in a beautiful way. Yet there's this kind of incessant texture underneath everything or in front of everything, maybe that is also perfectly interlocked. Yeah. I mean, just try for an afternoon building something like that. You'll really gain some additional appreciation for what the guy's doing here. Particularly, you know, if you've been sleeping on the first couple volumes, um, now is definitely a good time to go back and give these things a thorough listen because there's a lot of music that we're not going to be playing today that is really strong. And he, he Carl's imagination as far as really creating the whole game in your head right. through these albums is one of the great joys of it. Let's We're going to move on to volume three now, which came out a few months after. The, again, all this music in a very compressed <laughs> period of time and so inspired. This is one of the first pieces that he wrote for volume three. And I remember as he was working on it, he would send me almost like on a daily basis, a new track. And this one just really captures the imagination. A lot of the music we've been playing today is in a minor key is in that sort of cool, you know, devious style. And I feel like some of the real joys of the Sonic-esque music is when he can kind of capture 
that like positive Japanese nineties <laughs> style of music in a major key that still yeah. has all this bursting personality. Let's take a listen to Twisting Treetop from Sonic Esque Volume Three. You are enjoying Twisting Treetop. Um, love how you set us up for this, Will. And um, continuing evolution of so many of the things we've been talking about. And <laughs> if anything, Carl's almost like defying the odds here when that initial melody is reintroduced against like the B section. And it's like, wow, I'm, how is it possible I can like digest all of this at once? I, again, really want to highlight the sensitive production and mixing and kind of color and palette selection of all, all these synths. I know Carl is, you know, very passionate about the Sega Genesis chip, but I do think part of his attraction to those sounds does have something to do with the Sound Blaster and all of those PC great Dream Team LucasArts sounds. And you really get a little bit of that quality too, really just even just like timbrely and kind of some of the gestures of some of these lines. So to your point earlier about just how intuitively Carl will integrate all of those influences um yeah just what a satisfying and dazzling piece of music i mean he's he's just taking care of you here in some ways it's like with each sonic s volume it feels like a cosmic leap forward from what he was doing but it's it's like everything is so appealing and i mean the way he's using the genesis instruments is definitely there's a probably a notch up on this volume but all of these things we're talking about it's like he's just getting sharper and sharper the interaction of all these elements every single musical line is independently catchy and memorable in the notes that he's choosing for the you know even that it's like all of that stuff is memorable everything you're hearing the riff the actual melody everything is a melody the bass line is a melody it's all so catchy and appealing in the fact that it all can integrate and work together and then you get to that sort of bridge section that feels like forlorn and a little sad and melancholy and that it's just like that contrast that he captures it it really does feel like i mean instrumentally you know we're hearing allusions to the sonic series completely things like angel island zone and stuff like that but that melancholy that sadness that that feels evocative of green hill or emerald hill zone that kind of quality of masato nakamura's music where there's something sort of bittersweet about it and i think that is so integrated into carl's style even if he isn't explicitly attempting that his instincts will lead him in that direction spot on 
Let's take a listen now to Machine Meltdown. This is a track Carl was alluding to earlier. That band we've been talking about, Apartment 4, actually played a version of this as sort of a song in their band. And what was cool is I think it actually, in this case, was Sonic-esque first. He wrote this track and I think was really happy with the groove and the melody and the nature of it that it ended up almost getting retrofitted back into the band in, in future shows. But I mean, yeah, when we listen to this, I think you'll be able to tell why. Let's take a listen to Machine Meltdown. ovation i mean hands down <laughs> yeah god this is good definitely a contender for yeah maybe your opening track on the kgb greatest hits playlist just kick you yeah this is i was telling will as i was playing it i almost can't even talk about it it's just it's so infectious and also just like personally really lands in a deep spot for me uh i had the crazy pleasure of being able to sub in on guitar a couple times with apartment four playing this basically as as blistering of a tempo as we as we could take it which is just like such a such a complete blast but yeah that opening riff really i would say like so much of carl's genius on display it's it's crazy hooky appealing then you look under the hood and there's all this kind of like specific pointillism of how this links with that and and then just yeah the harmony language it's this cool extended jazzy thing but not the esoteric like academic jazzy thing you know right. that's something marty and i were talking about like carl has always had a really intuitive sense of how to integrate more advanced jazzy harmony in like a pop language like he reminds me of like billy joel in that sense where it's like when you listen to the way he'll use major seventh chords or minor seventh chords, it's still a pop song. Right, like it's right. not taking this foray into the esoteric. And, and I think, yeah, the nature of that opening riff is a great thing to highlight because it's so simple. It's so repetitive. It's such an earworm. Yet the notes that it's emphasizing are quite outside. You know, they're, they're not these diatonic chord tones they're they're these really interesting dissonances and it makes it this wonderful emotional compliment because there's something painful and sad and melancholic about that and it's like when you think of a lot of the bands that carl loves like foo fighters or muse or sublime or you know i, I especially it's like a song like this makes me think of like 311 or guster or stuff like that where it's like there, there's a quality to some of that music where there is a pain in it, even though it's like a catchy kind of 
you know, it's pop art, but there's, there's pain in there and there's sadness and there's all kinds of like unrequited feelings being expressed through the, the music. And I think one of the things I love about Sonic-esque is just how seriously Carl takes this of, yeah, he's making a fun, you know, kind of fun, catchy Sonic tune, but he's putting, you know, his soul, his essence into these things. And I think that's what makes it so special. Oh my gosh. So from one hit to another, (laughs) if that is maybe, you know, one of Marty's favorite Sonic S tunes, I really think that this next track is my all time favorite Sonic-esque piece. It just has all of the things that I think we've been talking about. And yeah, personally, I remember the first time listening to this. I remember exactly where I was and it actually brought me to tears. It was just so, and it's not that, it's not like a self-consciously emotional thing, but it was just hearing my brother in such rare form and expressing himself fully. And it was confident and original and it wasn't ripping off any specific Sonic composer. It was nailing the target and it's just, yeah, dazzling. Um, This is one of my all-time favorites, Sparkling Shore from Sonic-esque volume three. Let's take a listen. listening to the track of the week uh sparkling shore so much of the magic that we've been talking about all comes to a head here yeah it's emotional it's catchy it's a brilliantly constructed machine the way all the elements work out and it has that sense of showmanship it has the sense of a band of you know trading off between voices and man it's like the way he does that with genesis instruments is so cool and so special and honestly by this point i feel like he does it better than any composers that actually wrote on the genesis like the, this has the the confidence and fullness and meticulous quality right. of any great musical arrangement you know a lot of times with video game music what's so cool about it is that it's implying all these things it makes us think of other genres and it feels more rich and sophisticated than we'd expect what i feel like Carl does with Sonic-esque is he's taking that and and really legitimately dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's. Like you could go track by track, break down every element of this composition. There's nothing lazy. There's nothing kind yeah. of pre-baked, pre-made. It's not formulaic. Um, right. Yet the confidence of how he executes 
on these things. It's almost as though he's, oh, I've been doing this for decades, kid. Like, it's just so intuitive <laughs> to him. Yeah, I don't know where this sort of magic comes from in his brain. I mean, I think once he got all the Chaos Emeralds, he's yeah. just been at this supersonic speed. Oh, man, that's so good. I, In some ways, like, the less you say, the better on this stuff, because I do think the music speaks for itself. We're going to move on to another track from Volume 3. This is Toxic Plant. And this one, I think, has some influence from the opening stage to Sonic Spinball. I think that was definitely Carl's, like, reference point in his mind for the kind of level concept he was thinking of. But I think he totally captures a lot of particular qualities of that track while still making something really original. Let's take a listen to Toxic Plant. listening to toxic plant from sonic esque volume three at this point i feel like it's almost like okay episode over we've 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 explored every side of this music and the fact that he can continue on for volumes and volumes just speaks to what he's built within these volumes of music yeah, and hopefully this can just be honestly a great playlist for uh, for your afternoon today. And here we're getting some of that kind of technological environment that pops up so frequently in the Sonic games. Yeah, man, uh, this music is so delightful in, in all of these facets. It's rich to listen to, it's fun, it's captivating, it has personality, and it's very Sonic-y at the end of the day, which is, I think, one of the fundamental testing points we're going to play one more track from volume three before moving on this is floating isle and what's cool is this feels like he's he's returning to a bit of after getting a lot of music that feels more in the vein of sonic 3 and sonic and knuckles and into that you know june senaway era and beyond this track feels like we're bringing it back to sonic 1 and 2 yeah to the nakamura yeah, it's the Nakamura sound through and through, and this is one of my favorites. Let's take a listen to Floating Isle. could just see this being someone's like favorite song their ringtone like really this whole episode today is just such a great excuse for 
us to kind of focus our love for our brother and his specific personality here. But once again, I'm seeing that smiling drummer mm. that I've known <laughs> since he was drumming as a little kid uh, out there in the background. Yeah, I mean, completely. Yeah, gosh, that's so delightful. I mean, I it's just, <laughs> yeah, going through and picking this playlist, it was surprisingly easy for me because I, I knew that it was like, I can't play everything, I can't capture everything, but, you know, every piece of music that gave me that, that magical feeling, honestly, like my childhood, that totally. really particular thing that Carl can do so well. Oh boy, well, those were the first three volumes of Sonic-esque, all written in 2011, and it's a snapshot of our brother at a point in his life, and what's interesting is a few years would transpire before he would kind of add on to this corpus with another volume, volume four, which was so interesting because in many ways it was like more polished, more refined, more particular to the sound of the Genesis. But I do feel like Carl is in a different era at this point. The way in which he goes about the music feels a lot more disciplined. And there's almost like a maturity to this stuff that feels, I feel like there is, there's a certain difference between the, and part of it is just time, you know, people grow and change and explore different things. And I think that's, what's cool about artists. It's like you, you hear an evolution. Uh, let's take a listen to soaring gadget from Sonic ask volume four. to Soaring Gadget. Just marvelous the way he makes use of those like Michael Jackson-y ha sounds and stuff from Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Yeah, so fun. And really it's at this point he's finding kind of anything that may have been left off of the table and the, the previous projects and finding a way to integrate it really seamlessly into into this new music. Uh, I love that you used the word disciplined earlier. Yeah, that's a really great way to kind of describe the continuing evolution of the sound. So exciting, and I'm also just so happy that what a warm audience all this music has found, and hopefully uh, we'll just continue. Yeah, and it's just the arrangements get more and more dazzling, you know? I I think I still have, I'm always going to have my soft spot for the first few volumes, because there's just something 
kismet in the air of what he was writing, but I think the arrangements right. of this music and the the way it's rendered is like again, it's it's just in such rare form and he just gets better and better. Let's take a listen to one of my favorite tracks from this album, Arctic Wasteland. <laughs> Arctic Wasteland from Sonic-esque Volume 4. What's so cool about this is, you know, he's in no means trying to create, you know, an ice cap zone homage. Compositionally, this is completely distinct. It has those aspects of Japanese melancholia with this sort of minor key progression, but it still feels Arctic. He's utilizing some of the instrument settings from ice cap zone. Right, there's just enough reference to kind of set you in the right place. And also, you know, just this is like a really essential biome or whatever when talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. But yeah, even if we think back to the earlier part of the playlist, he was honoring Mystic Cave Zone, yet doing so with a really fresh original piece of music that you feel all that same philosophy here. I think the album that will probably get the least amount of representation on today's episode is Carl's most recent entry from just a couple years ago, Sonic-esque Flashfield, which is masterful. And he really takes this kind of project into a whole nother level. The reason why we wanted to spend so much of the time on today's episode focusing on the older albums is because really they are older and we wanted to celebrate music that is probably less likely to be in our awareness, which it's interesting Carl abandoned the numeric volume for this album and I think it makes sense because in some ways this feels like Sonic-esque evolved. The two tracks we're going to be playing today are in the kind of classic Genesis style but a lot of the music in this album actually expands into a fuller more contemporary arranging set with real instruments and incredible playing but I think my favorite tracks on the album are probably still the Genesis ones because it feels like <laughs> sure. since he wasn't indulging himself as much and doing as much Genesis, the ones that are there are so catchy and so good. This one being, you know, top of mind and top of the list. Let's take a listen to Moon Factory Zone. Mm-hmm. 
We're listening to Moon Factory Zone from Sonic-esque Flashfield. It's amazing. And I feel like this is really like matured Carl in the best way. This is yeah. like a rich, tasty wine. There's nothing to prove. Um, he clearly has all this craft at his fingertips. And still that sense of how to move an audience, yes. how, how to just funkify them. Yeah, and, and knowing that a, a certain amount of repetition is is needed in creating something really catchy and memorable and not being afraid of simplicity and, and economy of notes, but still having more than enough detail to be captivating and interesting yeah i mean it's it's he's created a sound of his own at this point and that's what's so cool is because we know him so well and know his personality there is this feeling of almost different eras of his writing across these volumes but i think to a lot of listeners you just hear the staggering consistency in this clear voice from you know beginning to end Continuing with the last track that we're going to be discussing today, Cobalt Trench Zone from Sonic-esque Flashfield. Let's take a listen. wonderful again that catchy pop voice that is singular to carl um he's just he's one in a million our brother and marty i just want to thank you so much for you know coming on the show today and helping me sing the praises of uh (laughs) the middle brueggemann child no are, are you kidding like i yeah i i'll do it again next week um and the week the week after that this is yeah, this is such a delight, so meaningful for us personally, just as human beings and uh, as fellow Brueggemans of that crazy little group, um, and just as musicians and fellow composers who have been so inspired by and excited by uh, Carl. And um, I'm, I'm really glad that we've been able to hopefully share a little bit of our perspective of just what's so special about this music and what's so special about the guy and also <laughs> how lovely we've come come full circle and uh there he is behind the drum kit kit yeah. for real on this, well let's bring him back piece. into the room carl come on back in all right <laughs> hey so you guys didn't hate it i hope uh yeah I hope. that was uh that was interesting <laughs> 
No, only effusive words of praise, as I'm sure you can imagine. Well, at time of recording, I have no idea what you guys talked about or played. But I, again, I can't wait to hear this. And I just want to thank both of you for your time and for wanting to do this. I can't already can't wait for the next installment. I think we're going to do, me and Marty are going to uh, talk about oh, a Will project. So yeah, I already yeah, can't yeah. wait for that. But yeah, I love both you guys. And again, these, these volumes, if it wasn't for you two, they wouldn't have happened. I mean... And all the stuff we've done as Marcado Bros, obviously it wouldn't have happened without both of you. And so this whole collection is is really kind of for you guys. Well, dude, yeah, I just want to say how much I love you. Uh, Masonic-esque reigns <laughs> supreme forever. And yeah, I think this is just such a fantastic opportunity uh, to talk about really what sparks us. And that spark can kind of come through this game cartridge. It can kind of come through your headphones and you can actually find a way to amplify it as you get things under your own fingers or you get these own crazy ideas in well, your head. Well, and that's what's so beautiful about and one of the reasons why we wanted to do this kind of episode is that we're not just friends that host a podcast together. We're not just two musicians that write music. We're brothers. We grew up together. We have you know so much in common and all three of us have influenced you know, our shared love of this medium, our shared love of music, and we've all influenced each mm-hmm. other's lives in so many countless ways. And, you know, I, I do have a lot of nostalgia for the Sonic Esques, particularly the ones that you wrote in 2011, because I just remember how excited mm-hmm. you were, that it really felt like the start of something new. I had never thought of that as being a possibility. And for me personally, it's like, it. I feel like I cut my teeth as a composer in in doing like homages to specific video game composers. So Sonic-esque was really like the blueprint for so much of what would be the foundations of my own musical development. So I think in for both Marty and I, we feel really kind of that this was a a real turning point i think in both of our lives not not just for you oh well that means a lot man that means a lot and i just wanted to quickly say that that the sonic-esque projects uh in the series was kind of the first thing that introduced my music to honestly it's crazy but thousands of people around the world and and it definitely was something that i became known for in certain communities and i just want to thank all the people over the years that have listened to it and been excited about it and shared it with their friends Uh, i mean a lot of my fans and subscribers on something like my youtube channel to this day come from the first few sonic esques when they were posted on different forums and they found their way to my channel and so thanks everyone who has uh checked this stuff out over the years one thing i'm curious if you could go back is there anything you would change in terms of like something that's interesting? The name Sonic esque is is something. It's kind of a strange name. <laughs> I would and change that as a word. I, would I think it's that. something that is like maybe hard to read. I remember the first time I thought I thought it. Almost, oh yeah, no part of it. It seemed like you were going for something kind of classical, like like an arabesque or something. Sure. I don't think I was thinking long term of like, hey, this could be something that gets you know some momentum going and could lead to other things and and be a really good stepping stone for me. I just thought, oh, Sonic, it was just a quick idea. So I would change the name to something cooler. Um, I The biggest regret I have is when I was first starting out on Volume 1, I was doing a lot of silly things that, that I eventually just <laughs> completely sure. stopped doing because they made no sense. 
Um, so there's some weird production things that I did in the first one that I think I was just so excited that I didn't really think through. So those are some of the things. See, it's funny. I, I would I would still argue with you, though, because what I think is great about Sonic Esque and why I personally, I would say I, I can't pick between the first or second volume, which is my favorite. But I think what I so admire about the first one, especially in context of everything, is that you aren't just trying... It, it doesn't just sound like Sonic in terms of the implementation. It's more about the nature of the melodies. Yeah, it's the composition. It's the emotion. And you That's captured cool. a side of Masato Nakamura specifically that I've never heard anyone else kind of articulate or or well that's really sweet i appreciate that i think that's why yeah like i love the first two albums that that feel like they have a lot more of the the dna of sonic one and two and i feel like that's something that has been lost in that series over time that you know i mean we've talked a lot about sonic the sound has so changed and morphed over the years there's not one consistent thing but masato nakamura had a very distinct in particular voice the way he would write melody the way he would create arrangements he, he had a particular voice as a songwriter and I feel like some yeah. of that is probably just naturally seeped its way into your like musical genetics but I think maybe it was the experience of first using those Genesis sounds that I really feel like you tapped into something very special that it feels like a direct link to um, the music of Masato Nakamura. And I think that's the thing that I just find so special. Well, again, I just, I appreciate this opportunity to, to have my music shared and I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. <laughs> yeah, just, um, uh, just, yeah, I'm just smiling like an idiot here. This makes me want to do another actual Sonic episode at some point, maybe some sort of, we did an overview of the series and maybe we could find a soundtrack we haven't explored, maybe like a Saturn yeah, Sonic yeah, Spotlight yeah. or something. And maybe on that one, we have Jun Senaway or Masato Nakamura step out of the room because um, <laughs> normally go. they're there here with us and we'll have them step out so you know they don't have to feel embarrassed they just don't have much to say <laughs> well thanks so much uh, Will and Marty and all of you uh, I can't wait to hear this episode <laughs> yeah I don't know here's to the, the next five volumes I hope you guys had a good time just wanted to mention that you can find all this music as well as all of our original albums at our website supermarcadobros.com or supermarcadobros.bandcamp.com which we actually have a a label account now so there you can find all of our individual compositions yeah and then uh flash field is on uh, carlbmusic.bandcamp.com so yeah all of this music you can check out on bandcamp sweet well i think that about does it for this week's episode thanks so much for joining everyone my name is carl brueggemann And I'm Will Brueggemann. And I'm Marty Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.